I'm going to be teaching on worship this morning. It's a part of the, the church series we're doing. I've, I've titled this a church, a church Who Worships Together, dot, dot, dot. Don't forget the dot, dot, dot. It's important. So I wanted to, I don't know, I just want to share my heart a little bit first, and then we'll get into some stuff. I, I feel very little pressure this morning to try to convince you or coerce you into worshiping. Not my job. Praise God. <laughs> so there's zero pressure this morning, you guys. I don't have any new ideas. What I do have is a very deep conviction that there is stuff to learn and grow in as it relates to worshiping individually and as a body of believers. See, I think a lot of the problems we see in the world really boil down to just misplaced worship. War. Poverty. If you trace the roots, I think you could find a spot where man decided to worship something other than the living God, and it causes all these problems. I also want to say up front, this is too big of a subject to try to figure out in 30 minutes. I hope to whet your appetite for this, and I hope that you talk like crazy at your life groups about this, okay? Music is such a sweet and powerful part of our worship as a church body. I'm not going to focus on that today. I think we can tend to focus on the music aspect a little too much, not in the sense that we should do it less. No, at all, not at all. We should be doing it more, but we need to add more to it. There's this misconception that worship is what we do here on a Sunday morning with the music, and it's just not, it's not true. It includes that, and again, that is a very powerful part of it that I hope to sh preach a sermon on some other time. But guys, <clears throat> worship is the way you greet each other when you walk in, right? Worship can be the way you say hello to one another. Worship can be our prayer time, our, worship, our, our music time, and the sermon. Uh, Andrew Soriano prayed it this morning as we were getting ready to do the setup in here. He said, Lord, let all we do be worship this morning. Like even the setting up of this space can be worship. I'm going to pray, and then we're going we're gonna to really dive into this. Lord, we love you. And God, I pray only your words would reach our ears this morning, and anything else would fall to the floor and, and die there, Lord. I pray that you would move in our midst this morning, King Jesus. I pray that you would teach us and show us what it is to, to, be, to have a worshipful heart, to be a community that is identified by their worship, Lord. Speak, King Jesus, in your name, amen. So I started to try to think through a definition for worship just to get us started, and I was like, mm, that's impossible. <laughs> so I'm going to quote a, a bunch of people who are a lot smarter than me, and hopefully through all that we'll, we'll be close. Dave Buring said this, Worship is our love response to him. It is ministering to the heart of God. Worship is an intimate, joyous expression, the engagement of our entire beings with the greatness of our Lord. I'm going to read that one more time. Worship is our love response to him. It is ministering to the heart of God. Worship is an intimate, joyous expression, the engagement of our entire beings with the greatness of our Lord. If I were to say the word worship, what, what comes to mind? Y'all can be vocal if you want to. When I say worship, what, what, 
what's the first thought in your head? Exaltation. Does anybody think of like maybe mountains or a sunset? Music? Like there's, there's probably something that pops into your head that really resonates with your heart as it relates to worship. And here's what I want to say this morning is the question is not if we are worshiping. It is what, what or who are we worshiping? Because we were created to worship. It's like in our DNA. There's nothing we can do about it. We're going to worship. That's encouraging, right? It's an automatic thing for us. It is encouraging, but with like all good things, there's this side of it that we have to be careful of. Because here's the problem. Anything can be worshipped. Anything can be worshipped. This is all about getting our worship placed and put in the right place. God has given us so many good things. Amen? Like so many good things. Family, kids, feeling like friends, life, (laughs) breath. The problem with good things is we have this ability since the fall of man to worship the created, not the creator. And that's what I hope we can, we can change this morning. We have to actively pursue the object of our worship. It does not happen on its own. On our own, we worship all sorts of other things besides God. You know what's this really scary thing? If we aren't careful, you know what we end up worshiping? This guy, ourselves. Eugene Peterson said this, Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. Come on, EP. Get it. (laughs) Let's say that one more time. Worship is the strategy by which we interpret, interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. Notice the word strategy. That implies intentionality. Again, like we already said, left on our own, we just, we go away from the Lord. So who do we worship? You got to know him to worship him, right? Worship starts with an intimate knowing of the character, the names, and the attributes of God. You got to know him to worship him. I think the best way you can start to do that is get in the word. Get in the word. Memorize some verses like we did as kids. Like, I know that's basic, but that's where it starts, guys. I think we chalk that up to to being elementary, but like, memorize some verses. Let them live in your heart. I'm going to share a kind of silly personal story to help illustrate this point. So I grew up in the Birmingham, Alabama area, and I played Little League Baseball. I was on the White Sox, in case you were wondering. Um, who was that? Bob. Um, we were pretty good. Anyway, there was this thing that, so we had in Birmingham, there was the Birmingham Barons. They were the, the, um, the, not little league. Why can't I think of minor league? (laughs) We were the little league. They were the minor league. (laughs) Um, the, the Barons. And so there was this thing called the field of dreams, which is a great movie, by the way, but that's not what we're talking about. And what this was, was in, and our team won the chance to do this. And we got to take the field with the Barons, which is cool. It's great. 
It's just the barons, but cool. <laughs> and then I'm there, and we take the field, and all these people are freaking about, out about this one guy. I'm like, what is going on here? And my mom's even freaking out. I'm like, Mom, what? She's taking pictures of him, taking pictures of me with him. I'm like, who? What, what is going on here? This is just, he just played... From the looks of it, he's not even that good at baseball. <laughs> Come to find out, that was Michael Jordan. <laughs> I had been hanging out and taking pictures with Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all times. But I didn't know who he was, so it didn't matter. I had no clue who he was. No, he was tall and mediocre at baseball. What's the big deal? <laughs> and now I've, I, you know, I've grown and... and through the discipleship of Jake, I'm, I'm heavy in the camp of, of, of Michael Jordan being the greatest player of all time. So now I appreciate that moment, <laughs> but I did not appreciate it then. And I know that's a silly story, but we got to know the person we worship. You know, Mike, you know, we're on a first name basis now. Mike didn't take the time to fill me in on who he was. Right? God doesn't do that to us, guys. God has made himself known to us. We serve a God who has made himself known to us. We don't have to wonder about who he is or what he's like or what he wants from us. He tells us. Isn't that good news? We're going to read Jeremiah 29. This is 12 through 13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. Romans 1.19, since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. Psalms 51.6, behold, you delight in the truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. He has made himself known to us, to you, and when we seek him, we will find him. So that's who we worship, a God that's made us himself known to us and made his his attributes and his names and his character known to us. So how do we worship? We worship with our heart, soul, mind, and body. Um, Biblical expressions of worship include singing, shouting, clapping, laughing, leaping, lifting hands, bowing, kneeling, dancing, musical instruments, singing a new song, stillness. The list goes on. It goes on and on. That's the physical nature of worship. So that's very important. The heart posture is also very important. Worship isn't just those outward expressions we just listed. It's more than that. It's also an inward knowledge and experience with his holiness and his worthiness. The old Greek word for um, worship is actually worth-ship. So it's really about his worthiness. Um, moving on to the mind, uh, Romans 12 tells us we can worship by being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Thinking rightly about God is worship. Thinking rightly about God is worship. So I don't have a nice, tidy definition for worship for, for us this morning. But the better news is, is God's going to show us. God, who has made himself known to us, will show us what he wants from us in this area of worship if we just seek him, he will define it on his terms. I don't know where I heard this, but let the throne set the tone. Okay? (laughs) 
let's not box God into some earthly definition of what he accepts as worship or what it looks like. Let's let him show us. And the good news is that he does this work. Our only part is to seek him. He does this work and he took it a step further by sending his son as our great pre, our, our high priest and our worship leader. Check this out. So in the beginning of Acts, the ascension is, is about to happen. And when the ascension happens, I don't know about y'all, but I've always kind of looked at that and thought it was kind of like a holy retirement party for Jesus. <laughs> like he, he did his work and now he's up hanging out, chilling, living the good life. It's not, it's not right. <laughs> it's not right. He takes his place in the heavenly temple at God's right hand. In Hebrews chapter seven, it describes this, this, this idea that Jesus is a new priest, a superior priest. The old priests were imperfect, mostly because they died. Like they just were gone and Jesus doesn't do that. So if, let's, let's read in Hebrews um, seven uh, and this is 24 through 26. But, but because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. This is Hebrews 4, 14 through 15. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And then moving on to Hebrews 8, this is 1 through 2. Now the point in what we are saying is this. Anytime you see that in Scripture, pay attention. <laughs> now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord has set up, not man. Jesus is at the right hand of God serving as a minister. Have y'all ever thought about that? My imagination goes wild with that. Jesus is in heaven leading a heavenly worship service, and he's inviting us all to be a part of that. Doesn't that take some of the pressure off knowing that Jesus is the one leading us in worship? So for every Christian at all times and in every circumstance, in all situations, there's only been, ever been one true worship leader. There's only been one, only one holy enough to open the scrolls, right? He's the only one, and his name is Jesus. He's the only one worthy to go into the sacred space, enduring the wrath of God, allowing us to enter boldly through him and with him. So it's good news. We don't just have to worship on Sunday mornings, right? If Jesus is our worship leader, he's, he's with us always, right? We can worship anytime, anywhere. Jesus always lives to intercede for us. That's such good news, guys. He's ministering to us and to God on our behalf. Really? Whoa. 
Jesus. He is sitting at the right hand of God, ministering in the holy places, and he will lead us to the throne room. He'll do it. He'll do it if we seek him. Okay, now let's, let's hop in a little bit and talk about a church who worships together. A church who worships together is made up of individual people who are fully devoted to worshiping on their own. <laughs> Committed to regular times of worship in the secret places, in the public places, in the car, wherever, the bathroom, I mean, whatever. Sorry, I got lost here, guys. We have to learn to submit to our great high priest and worship leader Jesus. The things we do on Sunday, and again, I'm not talking just about the music. I'm talking about the prayer. I'm talking about the way we welcome visitors. I'm talking about Jake's preaching and how we receive that, all that stuff. That stuff will never reach its full potential until we understand that we have to be a group of individuals who are committed to this lifestyle. It's so simple, guys, but it's so, so important. You have to worship on your own. But we're not on our own, right? We just learned Jesus is leading worship, and we're invited into that. I, I love our worship times together here. I love what we do on Sunday mornings. It's, it's one of my favorite times of the week, and that's never going to change. But if that's the only time we're worshiping, guys, we're, set, we're settling for a little tiny piece of Jesus when he's offering a buffet. We're settling for a tiny piece of the freedom that, that comes from worshiping or having a lifestyle of worship. What's awesome about this is in this situation, the thing that pleases him most, our worship, also satisfies us the most. It goes both ways. This is one of those things that God has set in place. He wants it from us. And I'll say this, God doesn't need anything. He's self-sustaining, he's he's good. How much more beautiful is it that he has invited us into something he desires from us, this intimate relationship of worship? So, it's the thing that pleases him most, which is our worship, which is a, just a life lived sacrifice to him. And it also satisfies us most. So, I was thinking through um, this week what are kind of some of the things that get in the way of us experiencing this, both as a church body together on Sundays, but also as individuals? Um, I've got two that I'm going to share today. There's probably more. Well, there's definitely more. Um, but these are the two that the Holy Spirit really put on my heart. We, we're, I'm going to call them roadblocks because they get in the way. Uh, the first roadblock, relying on feelings and emotions. We can't do that, guys. Worshiping and living a lifestyle of worship is a choice. It is not a feeling. And I've had to learn that the hard way. If we chase after feelings and all that, we, we miss out. God gave us emotions. They're good. But they were never intended to be the guiding force in our relationship with him. And I think sometimes we use them as a gauge of how we're doing with God. And so if we're having a bad week, it's like, oh, God must be unhappy with me. And the truth is quite the opposite. 
our relationship with him should be the thing guiding our emotions and feelings. We, we, we've got it in reverse, in large. If we're waiting till we feel like worshiping, waiting for an emotive response, we'll be missing out on the beauty of choosing him. Choosing him. It's kind of like marriage. If I only love Crystal well when I feel like it, she ain't getting loved very well. Same for, I mean, it's even worse for her. Like, if she's only doing it when she feels like doing it for me, man, I'm like, she's got a lot of reasons not to feel like loving me, you know? One of the most important times we can choose to worship is in that moment when we don't feel like it. In that moment where what we're hearing and seeing doesn't line up with what we're singing or what he's preaching, what Jake's preaching. That's true devotion. True devotion does not, is not guided by emotion. It's guided by a choice and a commitment. Uh, Eugene Peterson again, feelings are great liars. If Christians worshiped only when they felt like it, there would be precious little worship. We think that if we don't feel something, then there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel our way, feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. Old EP for the win, y'all. Eugene Peterson, man. He's got this figured out. So the first roadblock is relying on our emotions and feelings too much. We shouldn't rely on them at all. They should, they should be a counterproduct of our, our walk with the Lord and our worship. Second roadblock, relying on preferences to stir our passions. I like drums. I like electric guitars. I like when Zach plays keyboard. I like loud music. I like the ocean. I like Ferraris. Um, but I don't rely on those things to worship. That's the point here, guys. It's one thing to say, man, I, I, there's a specific style or preaching that I like. Uh, it's a completely different thing to say that I need that to worship. That is a lie. It is a lie, and our culture is guilty of believing that lie. It's not the truth. Matt Chandler said this. Worship gatherings are not always spectacular, but they are always supernatural. And if a church looks for or works for the spectacular, she may miss the supernatural. If a person enters a gathering to be wowed with something impressive, with a style that fits him just right, with an order of service and song selection designed just the right way, that person may miss the supernatural presence of God. Worship is supernatural whenever people come hungry to respond, react, and receive from God for who he is and what he's done. A church worshiping as a creature of the word doesn't show up to perform or be entertained. She comes desperate and needy, thirsty for grace, receiving from the Lord and the body of Christ, and then gratefully receiving what she needs as she offers her praise, the only proper response to the God who saves. 
There's another quote from A.W. Tozer. This one's, this one's real, y'all. I'm just warning you. The church that can't worship must be entertained. And leaders who can't lead a church to worship must provide the entertainment. Can I just be frank with y'all? Is that okay? Even if you say no, I'm going to be. Um, if entertainment is what you guys are after, <laughs> this is not the place. <laughs> I have no problem saying that. For a couple of reasons, though. Like, the first reason is, like, we're not good at it. I mean, look, look around. <laughs> right? <laughs> just look around. Oh, but more importantly, I'm not even a little bit interested in entertaining you. It's not good for me. It's not good for you. It's not good for our dead and dying world. I'm not interested in it. Have our preferences become more important than our desire to truly worship? Let that sink in for a minute, guys. We're not going to rush through this. Let that sink in. Have our preferences become more important than our desire to truly worship? What if instead of constructing a list of preferences, like things that we like or think we need in order to fill the presence of God, what if instead of that, we devoted ourselves to a local body that God has called us to and just chose to worship there? Throw the preferences aside. Where, what is, where is God calling you to be? Where has he got you? That's, the, that's way, way, way more important than preferences. And I'm not saying preferences are bad. I'm just saying they can't direct our worship life. What about the people that don't have access to what we have access to? We really need a reset in this area. We really need a reset in this idea that, that we need certain things in order to feel the presence of God. What is stirring up your passion? What is causing your response in worship? Your preferences being met? Or the knowledge of who Jesus is, what he's done for you? Only one of those can ever be worship. I'm gonna tell a story about the song, Heart of Worship. We actually sang it for prayer um, this morning. Uh, it was written by Matt Redman, <clears throat> and I was listening to him talk about the song, and he led a church in England. He led, led, a, uh, led worship at a church in England, and they got to this point where they were growing, and you know, the technology was increasing, and it, there was this sense that like, we're relying on that too much, and, he, and his, his, his lead pastor, this is a bold move, y'all, decided we're taking it all away. So when he's saying and sing um, this song, when he's writing this song, he, he, he said, it's not poetry. It's literally what we did. <laughs> the congregation showed up the next week and there were no speakers, there were no lights, there were no microphones, there was no worship leader. They sang hymns together. And they did it for months and months and months because they realized they needed a serious change in this area. And so what I'm saying in this area of worship is it might take some pretty major adjustments. And we need to be open to the Holy Spirit showing us what those are. Individually, first of all, and then as a church, as church leadership, we've got to be hearing from the Lord too. 
And I think a phrase you need to be careful of is, I can't go to that church because I don't like the worship. Man, that's a dangerous statement. Is it worship you're after or entertainment? If you don't like it, the preaching, that's everything. So like, we're not talking just about music. I just think that would help us when you're feeling that in your heart, just in general about worship. Man, I can't worship right now because my favorite song's not playing or I'm sad or fill in the blank, guys. A little red flag should go off in your head and in your heart. Oh, I can worship because Jesus, our high priest and worship leader, is, 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 is there. I'm going to start to wrap this up, guys. Um, two words stood out to me when I was thinking about how to express this stuff about worship. It was simplify and purify. Because I think part of the problem with worship is it's hard to understand. But also part of the problem is we try to explain it too much. Like we have all these thoughts about it. Let me put it this way. So we are the bride of Christ, right? Think about it this way. Christ is asking, as we enter into and worship together as a church, Christ is asking, what are your intentions with my bride? What are your intentions with my bride? What are you here for? As we enter this sacred space of worshiping together, what are your intentions? To be entertained, to check something off a list, to be seen by others? We have to truly wrestle with this question, guys. This is not one of those in in one ear, out the other. What are your intentions with the bride of Christ? We have to take stock of what's in our head and our heart when we walk in these doors to worship together. Proverbs 16.2 says, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Again, it comes back to getting with the Lord and letting him inform your deal. The second part of that is, do your intentions lead to action? Good intentions are great, but if they don't lead to action, they, they, they die inside. We have to know why we're doing it, and then we have to do it. So, what is it to worship? I'm going to read Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed it the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. I think that's a good starting place to discover what worship is. Living a life that reflects that. Devoted to the teachings, devoted to fellowship with your body, breaking of bread and prayer. And it says everyone was filled with awe. 
Many signs and wonders were being done. You were created for worship. Every time we truly choose to worship, we get a taste of old Eden before the fall. We are in true communion with the Lord. We are walking with him in the cool of the day, unashamed. We recognize through Jesus we are purified and undefiled, and we have access to the throne room. Worship is a life fully devoted and surrendered. Everything you say, think, or do is an opportunity to worship. Everything you say, think, or do is an opportunity to worship. When we come together as one body to worship, we are literally calling heaven down to earth. We're getting in sync with heaven. Read the songs and revelations as the angels are singing. When we come together and we sing these choruses together, we're literally getting in sync with heaven. That's what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. So we need to learn to love it. Also, when we're singing together, we're stirring up each other's faith. We're testifying to God's goodness. Your voice is needed, guys. It's needed. It ministers to people here and it ministers to the Father. It's needed. Think about how much this makes God smile. Y'all know God smiles, right? His kids in unity with one voice, celebrating the life and love he has given us. God desires this. It makes him happy. So I said at the beginning, a church that worships together, dot, dot, dot. A church that worships together stays together. Worships together, sorry, rejoices together mourns together, prays together, celebrates together, communes, sings, feasts, goes on and on and on. This idea of worship and true worship can be such a unifying, big, big thing for our church community. Don't you guys want to see people healed and set free? See the lost people coming in from from out? I think it starts here, guys. I think it starts here. We gotta be willing to be a people and a church and a bride that will be devoted to worshiping our King and Savior. Amen. I'm gonna pray and then we'll get out of here. Lord, we love you. We are so grateful that you are our high priest. So grateful that you came and you died and now we have, and you raised and now we have access to the throne room of God. I pray that we wouldn't waste that opportunity, Lord, that we would take it by force if needed, Lord, that we would worship you with all of our hearts, all of our souls and minds and body. Lord, have everything. We give it to you, Lord. Holy Spirit, show us how to worship in our everyday lives without ceasing. Show us how to worship, Lord. Pray that the enemy would not be able to rob anything from us in that area, King Jesus. By your name and by your blood, we have access. We celebrate your, worship, your, your love, Lord. We celebrate your life and the life you've given us. God, we, we choose in this moment to worship you. Not just today, 
but Lord, to submit to this lifestyle of worshiping you where our entire lives are a living sacrifice to you. So much so that everything we say, do, and think turns into an act of worship. That we're so close to your heart. We know your voice so well. We've sung your praises so much that the overflow is a lifestyle fully submitted and devoted to you and your will and your way. God, do that work in us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.